Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. So uh, let me open up with a, something I saw on Instagram. And uh, it's called Pun Lifestyle. And I was debating on whether you know, the Holy Spirit will allow me to do this. And he said, I don't care. The Lord moves in mysterious ways, but you don't have to. Please use your blinker. <laughs> a man once got hired to paint a church. The job required 100 gallons of paint. After the pastor bought the paint, the painter decided that he would use paint thinner and stretch the paint so he could uh, save some cans of paint for himself. But no sooner had he finished that a shower of rain came down and washed all the paint off. He fell on his knees crying, Lord, now what must I do? And a loud voice from heaven thundered, repaint and thin no more. <laughs> all right. It's really bad. I left my Bible there. I left my Bible there. That's actually an old one. But uh, I mean, that's the first time you guys heard it. Yeah, oh, that's good. Repaint and thin no more. All right. Fun. Well, glad you guys are here. I'm ready to dive in. I am ready to dive in. Uh, we are going to be, uh, man, what are we doing? We are, if you're visiting with us, I'm just kind of having fun right now. Um, we are diving into a little bit of the Old Testament. We're going to, but we're going to be primarily in the Gospel of John. So you could take your, uh, your paper Bibles, you could take your 25 translation iPhone Bibles, uh, and go for it. But I wanna, we want to keep going here on the revelation of the Father's heart. And I think this is kind of like our, I don't know, fifth, sixth, I can't remember. Um, but we have like three or four more to go. Uh, and so, um, but I keep getting some very fun and cool downloads um, from the Lord, and I just want to share them with you. And I, I feel like, um, you know, before I even came out, but really over the last several weeks, that um, I don't want to misrepresent at all the Father. And I felt like a, a weightiness that would just come over me and just saying, man, Lord, I, this, is about, this is about the Father, man. Like, I don't want to miss it. And so um, with a sense of, I don't know, kind of like an awesome accountability before the Lord, I just, want to, I just want to bring it to you. And, of course, you guys have every right to weigh in, look at the Word. Uh, I always encourage people, study the Scriptures. And, you know, right now we have so many options available for us um, in terms of of translations in terms of access to commentaries and the Hebrew and the Greek and all that. I mean, these, these are days, there are days when I, when I used to carry the 40-pound Strong's uh, Concordance with me. How many people remember the Strong's Concordance, you know? So, and then there was the Vines, and then there was the Weest or the Woost or the Weest or 
something. And I just remember I used to have a stack of them on my, on my desk. And so um, the Strong's was about that thick and about that wide. And the print was like this, you know, microscopic print. And now you can just go online and get it for free. And so no excuses for not studying the word. Come on. Say amen to that. All right. Well, amen. Amen. I'll say amen to that myself. So what I want to do today is I want to, um, you know, we talked about the three chairs. I mean, remember that? I just kind of, you can just grab the podcast or the YouTube to look at all that. We, uh, we kind of traveled down that road. And remember, um, in the scriptures, when the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, uh, let's just say, in heavenly places or in heaven, we have this picture of Father on the bigger throne, Son on the right side, Holy Spirit hovering like a dove over the top of them with beams of light. And... Because I was raised in the Catholic Church, my picture of it has always been the father's reach, the Michael, is it the Michelangelo picture, right? The father's doing this and the person's doing that, and that was my picture of the father. And the father had a long gray beard, somehow God aged. Um, and it was, it's just the best we can possibly do. And if we look at the scriptures, especially John chapter, chapter 1, and also in John 17, the, the Trinity is not, uh, not in a corporate flow, if I can use that word, like a corporate structure. Though his government is his government, which is all ecclesia, uh, actually the scripture says that they're face to face. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are face to face in perfect love and perfect union. Three persons make up the Godhead. And so the, the incredible story that we see as we dive into Scripture is that um, he's literally opened that reality up to us, and he has placed us in the middle of that circle. So if you're a, if you're a man, woman, you know, son and daughter of the living God, that you're actually not on the outside looking in that you're actually in the center of all that he's doing. And not only are you in the center of all that he's doing, you're in the center of his, of perfect love and all that God is and represents. And so you no longer are orphaned out here, but you're actually a son and daughter of the living God here. That you're actually royalty as sons and daughters and you're, you're ruling and reigning with him. And so in the coming weeks, next week I want to talk to you about adoption out of Galatians chapter 3. Or is it Galatians 3 or 4? 3 and 4, actually. 3 and 4. And it's not about adoption um, in our day and age really is, is about um, when you adopt a child, there's, there's no bloodline. But in the New Testament, the word adoption is, is a weaker word, and the word really means son placing, because there is a bloodline. And so I want to 
I want to kind of unfold that a little bit next week. And then I want to start tying the father heart of God with Ecclesia and bringing these two together. The father heart is, is kind of like the bookshelf that everything else, all the books rest on. If we don't have a revelation of the father heart of God as sons and daughters of the living God, then it's, we're missing a huge piece of us being Ecclesia, right? And so I want to begin tying that together and I hope by the end of the journey that we have, I mean, the journey is always going to continue, right? So we're not going to jump from one teacher to the next. But it's, it's the fabric of who we are. It's part of our identity. And if we don't grab a hold of our identity, then we'll get, um, if we don't get a, a hold of identity in the context of sons and daughters, then what we're going to do is we're going to fall back into a, a religious structure or system where we have believers who are, who are, who are they, they, they're already in Christ, but they live orphaned. And they're trying to get God to like them. They're trying to get the Father to love them. Though they understand it here in their head, theologically, in their heart, there's this constant, constant void or reach to win God's favor, to win his love. And so what we start off as in grace, we end up begin to become more and more religious, if I can use that word, where we're constantly reaching up and hoping that God will at one point not only love us, but like us. And the reason why I think I could say that with some, with some validity is that... Um, what I've seen in the body of Christ, though I think it's changing, is that there's a lot of, uh, we, we punish ourselves way too much. We, we, um, we feel like we're never measuring up. We can't measure up. When we make mistakes, we kick ourselves endlessly. When we're, um, when we have, when the message of hope is like the message in the body of Christ, something's wrong. Like there's a mess, the message of hope is wonderful and we need to hear it. But, but so often we have to kind of round first base and understand that God loves us, that we're sons and daughters, we're wrapped up in his love no matter what we do, outside of denying Jesus, right? But no matter what we do, his love is always coming and it never changes. In other words, he's gonna love you the same when you were brought into this world all the way to throughout eternity. His love is, is like a mighty, I, there's, no, there's no description, like a mighty rushing you know, waters. It's, it's just constantly flowing in our direction. And so this revelation of us being sons and daughters and then connecting that to the ecclesia and then seeing that Jesus was both. He was a son, is a son, and he functioned as ecclesia. So we want to tie those two things together. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. So we want to, we want to move on that, on that journey. All right. So let's just kind of do a quick five-minute you know, review here. So we have God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We have Adam and Eve that are here, and they're in this perfect union there's the tree of good and evil. There's the tree of life. 
And Satan tempts Eve, and Eve looks at the fruit, and Adam was there. Adam didn't really cover his wife. He should have slapped Satan from here to eternity at that point. Should have protected her. Didn't do it. All the guys say amen. Come on, man. All the guys said, all the guys said, that was so weak. All the guys said, amen. Come on, man. Don't get me rowdy. Um, and so through the history, through history, at least in my study, I, I was just kind of blown away a bit because I, I read these, these pillars in the, then we turn my, oh, I have airplane mode on. I'm still getting texts. I don't know how that happens. Um, anyway, um, and I lost my train of thought. I got a text. Ah, I hate that. Um, turn my Wi-Fi off. That's what someone says. Your Wi-Fi on? Okay, beautiful. Everyone say amen. Oh, interruptions. All right, so I thought I took care of that. So where was I? Pillars. The, the, the dude didn't protect his wife. That's where I was at. All the ladies are like. It doesn't mean it's not each of their faults. You know. All right. We all have free will, right? So what happened was, anyway, that's a whole other message. But here we are. And our, our fellowship with the Lord is broken. It's severed. But. And there's so much we could talk about around the the fall of man and all those kinds of things. But the scripture says that Adam and Eve, once they went ahead and took part in the fruit, hid and were afraid of God. They were were fearful um, of God's presence. And here's the point, that we no longer see God the way he intended. Mankind now sees God through Adam's fallen perspective. And those who don't know Jesus still do. They became orphaned, so Adam and Eve left the garden with orphaned hearts. So at that point, they looked for fig leaves to cover themselves. And those I'll submit to you our fake coverings to hide and to conceal our true identity. So we have fake identities. And one thing I found out this year is that fig leaves only last about a day. I mean, if you're going to use a leaf, don't get a, get, get a leaf that's kind of big, but don't get my voice cracked. But don't get a fig leaf, you know. They crumble, but we keep reaching to find out, we keep reaching for these fig leaves to find out who we are. And humanity, they keep reaching for these, these leaves to discover who, who they are, and they're hiding from God, and so, and they want to figure out how to maybe appease God, and in that, in that journey, of the of the of the fig leaves, we have we have pastoral fig leaves. Honestly, we have apostolic fig leaves. We have prophetic. I mean, it's in the it's in the body of Christ because we we haven't got the revelation yet of who we really are. I mean, I, I still like the 
the churches, I'm kind of leaning on this. I'll just throw this out. Where, I mean, when I first got saved, it was, it was and I heard in the foyer, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, and I did that because I usually forgot people's names. And I said, hey, brother. And, and the reality is, is that we are brothers and sisters. It is a family. So man introduces something called religion to try and bridge the gap between man and God. And religion is man's search for God. What happened with another way of defining religion is a version of God that's man-made. So religion, the foundation of religion usually is fear and brokenness. I've talked to several Islam brothers and sisters, got saved, and out of those conversations, love is never mentioned. Love in their religion is absent. It's somehow trying to appease an angry God with acts of service. It's this constant reaching up to somehow create a treaty. And if they were, if they're good enough and they do all the things, maybe, maybe God will like them. But it's really obedience out of fear. And so we see in Genesis that the Tower of Babel or Babel, whatever Babel is what I always call it. It's this, it's this picture of religion reaching up. It's this picture, it fails to see that God had already come down. While religion is about achieving and appeasing, relationship with the Lord is about believing and receiving. So religion is always reaching up. Following Jesus is God always coming down. My responsibility is to believe and receive. Trusting that the love of God will change me and conform me into the image of Jesus. But I find myself always, not always, that would be too strong. That's an absolute. I find myself wrestling with the idea of still trying to reach and still trying to get God to to like me in such a way or to continue to win love in the process where all I have to do really is rest, believe that he is, by faith receive who he is, and from that place he will transform me. Do you understand the difference? So we have believers who are working really hard in the relationship with the Lord, and we want to be able to say, it's okay, I, I like discipline. I mean, discipline's sometimes a good thing, but it becomes, when, we, when everything is measured by our discipline, then we begin to neglect receiving from the Lord and just resting in your faith. So 
we begin to have a, a list of rules, like in order for you to be a born-again believer, if you talk to any unsaved person, not any, this is an absolute statement, that they're going to tell you, okay, let's talk about Christianity. And they'll say, okay, you guys go to church, you guys read the Bible, you guys pray, you guys, and they begin on a list, right? And walking with Jesus or following Jesus is not about the list. It's about relationship. It's about communion. It's about believing. It's about receiving. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? But so many people, even in the body of Christ, measure spirituality based on the list that has been created and where the checks are on the list. Are you guys okay? I'm going to take a little leap. All right, so now if you look in the Old Testament, don't look in the Old Testament now. It'll take you a long time because it's a lot of pages. Father is mentioned about 15 times. In Deuteronomy 32.6, let me just kind of share with you some passages. You can jot these down. Deuteronomy 32.6, is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Psalm 89.26, you are my father, my rock, the rock, my savior. Isaiah 9.6, remember this very familiar portion of scripture, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, he should be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Isaiah 63, 16. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from everlasting is your name. Isaiah 64, 8. Yet, the, yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. Jeremiah 33, 19. You shall call me Father and not turn away from me. Jeremiah 63, 16, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my first son. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 says, have we not one father? Now, there's maybe a few more, but if you look at the Old Testament in the context of 1,500 years, you don't get much revelation out of the Old Testament that God his father. And God just didn't become father. Father was always father. I read this this week, and I'll just throw this out to you. There is no evidence in Jewish literature that the Jews address God as Father. Remember, he was Yahweh. In fact, the, the, the four-letter is Y-H-W-H. In fact, his name was so revered that any time that they wrote his name in the Bible, they would, they would put that pen down and grab another one. So, so Father 
or the word Yahweh was, was highly revered, and there's no evidence that, at least I can find, that the Jews address God as Father. So we have, you guys tracking with me okay? I'm just kind of laying out some, a foundation, all right? Good. You got your, you your thinking caps on? Okay, so that's how you, anyway, why did that phrase come in my head? Anyway, because I was in grammar school once. Um, so I, I just want you to get, I only had a few minutes just to kind of paint the setting, but you have this setting that, that you have the law, which was given to Moses, and you have this, this law is really actually a tutor that kind of created safety for us until Jesus came. But you have the law, and the law is something that no man could, could fully keep. The law was actually instituted to let us know how how, how, how we've fallen so short of it that we need a savior. But the law also gives us a picture of who God is. And so you have this journey through the Old Testament where you have, you have the law of God which is very stringent, very rule-based, very liturgical, even legalistic, in the context, because Jesus hadn't shown up yet, but humanity is not, not even realizing that they know Messiah was going to come, but they, 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 really don't, they really don't know what that's going to look like outside of the fact that he's going he's to be a conqueror. And they've been waiting 1,400 years, 1,500 years, 2,000, waiting for this Messiah. But let me just throw this out to you. I don't think they were, they were anticipating that the Messiah would be God's son. So, so you have the Old Testament, and then you have 400 years in between. And those were synagogues were birthed then, oral tradition was birthed then, the fathers were, were birthed in. All this kind of stuff came 400 years. Our country's, what, 250 years? I don't know, 200, whatever it is, years old. Just kind of double it. And that's where, that's where it's silent between the old and the new. So here comes, so here comes an angel, and they approach this teenage girl, probably 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, called Mary. And he lays out this plan that she's going to become pregnant and that what she's going to be carrying with her, in her, is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. We know the passage. Say amen. You guys are so quiet. Is it, you guys tired? All right. Luke one thirty one. just kind of give you some addresses here. You'll conceive in your womb and you will bring forth a son and you'll call him Jesus. I think at that point, Mary understood that God had a son. Elizabeth 
When Mary tells her the news, Luke 1, 39 through 44, remember John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb, being a guy, jumping around. But John leaps. And at that point, Mary understands that God has a son. Joseph wants to put Mary away privately until he, gets, he has a dream. And so Joseph discovers through revelation that God has a son and his name is going to be called Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? So you have this Old Testament history. You have this, we have testaments, but you know, they didn't have testaments. You know, we have testaments, Old New Testament. They didn't have it. We're just talking hundreds and hundreds and maybe a couple, one or two thousand years. Thousand years, two thousand years. Anyway. So Joseph has this dream. And all of a sudden, Jesus, I mean, the, the shepherds are, they get blasted by myriad of angels. I mean, you guys, this was not, I know we're so used to it because we celebrate it every single year. We're part of this. But I'm telling you that back then, that was a huge revelation. Like, put yourself there. Like, Mary's carrying the Son of God. So, Yahweh has a son. And I'm carrying him. You, you can't even grasp the weight of that. You just carry him and trust. Joseph, ready to put away Mary. He gets this dream. Shakes him to the foundation, keeps her. We have the angelic bursting forth on the scene. Glory to God in the highest. Peace, like Yahweh has a son. So in the New Testament, Yahweh, or in the New Testament, God as Father is used over 175 times. Jesus comes on the scene, John chapter 1. You guys with me? I'm going to have to make this into two parts, I think, because there's no way I'm going to get done by. I just, I just know. I just know. John 1.18, it says that no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, whom is in the bosom or the intimate presence of the Father. He has declared it. So Jesus is born and they find him in the temple with all the teachers of the law at the age of 12. Yeah? Now, what's super interesting to me, because I love history and I love context. I love a story in its context. 
It just makes it richer. So let's just go ahead and read the passage. This is actually in the book of Luke, verse 46 through 50. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. So Mary and Joseph leave the city, and they're for three days, because it must have been a big caravan, they must have thought aunt so-and-so had Jesus and his uncle so-and-so had Jesus or somebody had Jesus. They were all together. And after three, you know, after a time, they're like, where is Jesus? And if you're a parent, like we didn't know where Jordan was for about 15 minutes and we were hysterical. And he was in the backyard somewhere. We found him. Neighbor's yard, when we found him, this is in Eugene, Oregon, right? So, this wasn't last week. So, we found him. We found him, but we were like, I mean, I'm more the calm person in the family. Wendy's a little bit more Wendy. Oh my gosh, where's Jordan? Jordan! You know, and I'm like, okay, okay, we got to, you know. So, so we're, we're running down this, you know, going down the street and all this, and there he is. But that was only 15 minutes. It felt like three days or a week. I mean, every minute, every second. Vain imagination. Someone picked him up. Someone took him. Someone, you know, like. So now we're three days in this journey and they can't find, so they just do a mass search for Jesus. Where's he at? So we pick it up in Luke. So now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Did I say Luke? Luke 2? two? Oh, I'm sorry. Luke 2, 46 through 50. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Now, I just want you to get the tone of that. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't theological mellow. It was probably, son! You know, like, you're screaming at your kid saying, don't ever do this again, right? You know? So she says, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. In other words, our terminology, they're freaking out. (laughs) And he, being Jesus, said to them, I always thought this was a, the most, I don't know, insensitive or weird or statement. I must be about my father's business. Well, Mary and Joseph are there. Whose father? My father. Now, we see it now because it's, it's capitalized in our Bibles. But in the context of where he's at, 
He's like, I must be about my father's business. Verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Here's what's super interesting. Is that in order for you to become a full-fledged rabbi, there was a three-step process. At the age of six, you were, I, I can't even tell you, but I, I am going to completely hack these Hebrew names up. So I'm just going to forewarn you. I'm going to say it verbally. It's not, you don't even look it up because it's going to be shredded by me right now. There's the Beth Safar, which where they took the Hebrew kids, the Jewish children, both boys and girls, and they taught them in the synagogue. That was their school, was in the synagogue. By the age of six, they had to have memorized all of Leviticus. The only way you're going to memorize at the age of six all of Leviticus is if your father verbally taught you. Because the goal of being a rabbi was about 0.01% that you actually get there from the beginning point. In other words, in order to become a rabbi, there is a weeding out process all the way through to the age of 30. And so, the first stage is this, I know that, I don't know what movies, Aladdin, but so far, anyway. So, Joe Far, so far, whatever. So here they are. That's how I remember it. So here they are at the age of six, and they're going through, and... By the age of 12, you would have memorized the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. So you think you have it hard as an elementary kid today. Back then, you would have been, had to have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament up to the age of 12. And the way they test you to know if you have memorized that is not to write all the books out. That would take forever. The way they test you is by questions and answers. And you are to respond not with the answer. If they ask you a question, then your response should be a question in return. Because that would show the teachers how much you know by asking the question in return. That makes sense? So that's the test. And that's where we see Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is in the temple. They're asking questions. Jesus is asking questions to their questions. And the teachers of the law are absolutely rocked by how much Jesus knows. That's why he says, now, that's, this is a, a little bit of lifting the veil, the little bit of the revelation that we see. I'm all about my father's business. And so the next stage is another two-year stage called Bet Madrash. 
And that's called house of study. And so Bet Mahat, whatever it is, is where the local rabbi who, oversee, who oversees the synagogue chooses the best of the best of the best and asks them to be part of this program. So that eliminates pretty much 99% of everybody else. Maybe even more. At that point, these 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, they have, the, I think, the bar mitzvah, and they actually can start moving into their father's business. That could be fishing or anything else. So the disciples that Jesus called were people who didn't make the cut. Oh, there's so much revelation. I, I'll talk more about it next week because I'm still chewing on it. And so... They're handpicked and selected. Jesus is one of them. So for the next, from the ages of 15 to 30, sometimes they take this, this bet, and there's, there's five more stages between 12 and 30. This is why we don't hear anything about Jesus until he's 30. So when you move from 15 to 30, for, the, for those two years, you're actually taught by a local rabbi. A local rabbi is one who interprets the Torah and gives you that interpretation based on how that other rabbi taught you. So everything was in sync. So they, they look at Jesus, they choose Jesus, and now... A famous rabbi comes on the scene and handpicks those kids, age 15. So we don't know who chose Jesus. We don't know. I'm sure they were challenged, though, I could tell you. At least something to consider, right? I just want you to consider this this afternoon now. And there are five stages. Okay, don't get ahead of yourself. There are five stages. It's called the, 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 the pet Talmud. Everyone say it. Talmud, whatever. And that means house of learning. So now you have 99%. You have two years, and then you have 99%. The best of the best are actually chosen to actually move through this, this next phase. And if you wanted to go all the way, you can, get, you can jump out at the first stage, second stage, third stage, fourth stage, or you can go all the way to the age of 30. And at that point, you, you, at that point you, have, you graduate. I'll just say that. You graduate. Uh, I'll get ahead of myself. So you have this famous rabbi. This famous rabbi, and here's the phrase they use, that you do everything that rabbi does. They used to call it in the dust, which means how he ate, when he slept, you slept. 
when he ate, you ate. And you're there at his feet, literally, learning from him. Not just teaching lifestyle. Here's the thing. Everybody knew it. It was part of the culture. That means that every young boy wanted to become a rabbi. That was ingrained in the culture. And there were cuts along the way. And only the most excellent, best, whatever ever made it to the age of 30. That's why when Paul says that he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. How brilliant was the Apostle Paul? And you have his, it's called the New Testament. You guys all right? So, by the age of 30, you reached a point where you're going to either teach the Torah as the rab- your rabbi taught it to you, or there's another option called samika. And samika means that you can teach in your own authority. In other words, you're just not reciprocating the Torah any longer. You're actually being given authority to teach beyond it. No wonder why so many people in the New Testament say, this is Jesus. He teaches with authority. It's not because his voice was louder. So how does that process happen? Two verbal witnesses. So the best of 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 the cut, the cut, the cut, the cut, the cut, the cut, the cut. Here's your savior right here. God, man. Who gives him the verbal authority? John and the father. Because once you reach this point, you're baptized. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had baptized, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Remember John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Luke says in Luke 3.22, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. In you, I'm well pleased. At the baptism, there were two verbal witnesses to the authority Jesus now possessed. How can there be so many crowds around Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount? Oh, man, you guys, come on. There was no greater privilege. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing conclusion on this. We'll wrap this up more next week. There's no greater privilege than be called by a rabbi. You just dropped everything. If a, if a rabbi approached you, I mean a 30-year-old rabbi approached you and asked you to be his disciple, you drop your nets. I never could quite figure out why they just dropped everything to follow Jesus. I thought maybe it was his voice. Maybe there was something about Jesus. So he goes to Peter and he goes to Andrew and he goes to, he says, come follow me. And he, he gets a zealot and he gets a, he gets a, he gets a, you know, a tax collector. He gets, he says, come follow me. And they drop it all because they understand that they're going to be walking with this rabbi named Jesus and they know kind of what to do. So he's baptized. And the scripture says, immediately he was driven into the wilderness. Remember that? What What does the devil say in the temptation? If you are the son of God. Listen, Jesus didn't do anything. Not one miracle not based on sonship is not based on performance it's based on who you are that gives me a lot of hope it's not how many miracles you've done it's not how many whatever it's, it's sonship is based on who you are who you belong to The father already told him, you're my beloved son. In you, I'm well pleased. You need to look in the mirror and say, I'm a son or a daughter of the living God. In him, he is well pleased with me. You don't have to do anything. Just receive it. Well, next week we're going to talk about, kind of carry this on a little bit because... The mission of Jesus was not just the cross. The mission of Jesus was to reveal who the Father is. The cross is a means to get to the Father. How do you know that? Because Jesus says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're even more than a friend. To Jesus, he's our elder brother. You're a son. You're a daughter. That's who you are. What do I have to do to be a son or a daughter? I got to do all these things. I got this list of all the things. No, no, no. You just believe and you receive. I don't know of a greater deal than that right there. That's why the gospel is good news. Now, the teaching of a rabbi was called a yoke. The yoke was the rabbi's interpretation and teaching. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, this is why the crowds came to him because of the system that was already in place. Oh, come on now. There's the system. Jesus is coming with a new message. Oh, it just gets better. I mean, we start talking about sonship. I mean, if God's people would just get the revelation of who they really are based on the word of God, watch out. I'm serious. We really don't know who we are. I mean, we do know who we are, thank God, right? But there's, some, there's, 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 there's greater revelation for you. You have all these believers, pastors and leaders who are just so stressed out. Abba, Jesus said it in the garden. It's childlike intimacy with your dad. My grandkids never have to worry about their food. My kids never worried about, are we going to be fed? Are are we going to be taken care of? Right? Wow. Wow. trying to figure out how to pause and wrap this up. A couple things, practically, then I'm done. I'm telling myself, I'm done. I'm done. Just begin to read the Gospel of John. And What I did 
is I just, you won't be able to see it if I even showed it to you, but I just highlighted anytime just the word Father is mentioned. I'm not even talking about Jesus referring to the Father. I'm just talking about Jesus' Father. I'm convinced the mission of Jesus was to give revelation to the Father heart of God. If you want a concise version, read John 17. He says, I finished the race. I've revealed you to the world. I revealed you to the 12 that you've gave, you gave me. I revealed you. I revealed you. Now, may I take a seat where I belong back in heaven. we got to gain a revelation of who we are. And my prayer is that we would grow in this revelation. My prayer is that I don't want to just, my prayer before the Lord is that I don't want to just get it with my head. I want to get it here. You see, everything is a gift. Everything just needs to be believed and received. That makes sense? Think about that for a moment. All right. I am going to stop. Let's all stand. Man, next week will be, oh man, I'll probably be jumping off the stage. I'm serious. And then when we hit Galatians, Romans 8, Colossians, you guys, we're going to be like, woo. Take a moment, put your hand on your heart. And if you're a dude, if you're a lady, just say, obviously, by gender, I'm a son of the living God. I'm a daughter of the living God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We don't even know what an heir of God even means. But you can ask him. 
That's who you are. It's all done by Jesus. It's the grand master plan of the Father to bring you into a place of eternal fellowship. Even how you're created, he's created you for his glory. He's created you. People try and fill that void with drugs, sex. They, they try, they're, they're reaching, they're orphaned, they're reaching, they're reaching, they're reaching. It's not going to be complete until Jesus is there. You'll never find your purpose. You'll never find fulfillment until you dive completely in. mean it's simple Jesus I believe what you said I receive you with all my heart and for those who believe Romans 5 5 let the love of God come cascading in your heart so father fill me with more of you I want to be more like Jesus Jesus, thank you that you came and showed us what it meant to be a son or a daughter, but also based on the blood. It's through you that I have, even have fellowship with the Father right now. Oh, we thank you. Lord, I pray that we grow in this greater revelation, this revelation of who you are and how much you love us we stand as royal sons and daughters. Teach us. Teach us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone just say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, he's the champion of heaven, I'm telling you. Just, you're the champion of heaven. You did it. You revealed the Father heart, and you made a way. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, next week, <clears throat> next week will be part two of this one-part message. Um, but there are, oh, Caitlin's going to come up. See, I've already forgot the, you know, thing. So you guys just give Caitlin just a, Yep, a few seconds up here and let her kind of give you some direction, then we'll go. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor Greg. <sighs> it's wonderful. We're not disqualified, right? Like, praise God. I'm like going to be, I don't know, dialoguing with God about all that later this week. Praise God. Um, okay, can I have the prayer team come up and um, just kind of line up? We have amazing prayer ministers who just take some time and minister with you guys. Um, Yep. <laughs> um, and if you guys want to get prayer for any of the stuff, if God was stirring stuff up in your heart, um, I felt led to kind of call out some things real quick. Like if you feel, if you've been struggling with feeling disqualified or what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of Jesus, um, come and just get prayer for that, you guys, because we just gotta, we just gotta get it. We gotta go after our, the revelation of who Jesus says we are because that's the baseline of everything we do in life. Everything comes out of that. So um, if you guys felt stirred, please come and get prayer, team, prayer with our ministry team. And um, we're going to pray us out and have a great week. So Lord, thank you, God, for 
just the love that you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, that we are good enough because you say we are good enough. And thank you, Lord, that it's not about our deeds, but it's about our faith. So Lord, we just I just call out faith to arise right now in Jesus' name, faith in this room. Um, we say no to hopelessness in Jesus' name. And we just declare that we're gonna walk in all authority under heaven on earth. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a good week and be blessed. The prayer team's good. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.